I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Hey everybody, welcome to an extremely special edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. This is one you're going to want to set aside, listen to like daily for the, for the next year, I would say, at, at the very least. This one's going to be timeless. It's timeless because the NHL 99 project, which is the top players of all time, and we'll get into the details, as voted on by a prestigious panel of athletic hockey writers, is coming to a conclusion. As, as we record right now, Mario Lemieux came in at number two. Wayne Gretzky, of course, number one. It's the NHL 99 project, so no no spoiler you, you there. Don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know that. <laughs> or, uh, or, no, all right, yeah. Number one will be released tomorrow of the NHL '99 project. Uh, Gretzky, Athletic. Gretzky was actually Gretzky was actually 102. Spoiler, everybody, he, yeah. he missed out. If you add your way, Sean. So, <laughs> I, as you would expect with something like this, people didn't agree with everything that was presented to them, from story choice to where people were slotted. This became a, a daily uh, debate on the Athletic website. As I mean, that's the whole point, right? Um, and so we wanted to get a roundtable of panelists on here to defend their outrageous votes. I mean, just maybe even irresponsible in some cases. <laughs> and um, and it's a great like we handpicked them because these are our favorites. I'll, I'll do respect to the rest of the panelists. Um, we got Shana and Dom and Sean and Eric Eric Duhatchik, who really he ran point on this project. Um, and and so we're going to start with Eric because the he's done this before, Eric. Uh, you know he's he's influential in the Hall of Fame voting. He's done the, he did this in 1997 with the Hockey News when they had a uh, a, a top it ended up being I think top 100 players of all time. He voted on the NHLs if you remember I think it was the All Star Game in LA where they they did their uh, around their 100 year anniversary. Eric was part of that panel and of course in classic NHL fashion we didn't want to offend any of the players so they came out I think by height I don't remember exactly how they did it and. Now this. So, Eric, um, let's start with this. Did it get any easier on this one? We're, we're talking about players of different eras, and you can kind of give some of the parameters that we set up to make this one a little bit different. But how did this NHL 99 differentiate itself for you? Well, to me, it was the most challenging, the ones that I voted on, Craig, because there, there, were, there were two uh, sides of the divide that we had to debate. So, for example, 1997, uh, the Hockey News uh, publication, um, there were a lot of players that were in mid-career. Um, controversially, Eric Lindros is one of the, the, the big ones there because he was at the height of his NHL powers when this vote came out. And then soon after, 
he was voted 50 something on, on the list. You know, his career went into decline because of the concussions. But we didn't have to worry about the starting point. You know, everybody started at the same point. The only controversy really was, you know, how far along does a player have to be in his career to qualify as one of the greatest players of all time? But what we've decided, what we decided, or the editors decided at, at the athletic was that they wanted to, to do a different spin on it. And so it was the post expansion NHL. So that eliminated all of the, you know, players and years before 1967. And it also eliminated all of the WHA years. So that made it really complicated for players like Dave Keon, for Frank Mahovlich, even Gordy Howe. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Toronto as a, big league fan. My favorite player was Dave Keon, and Frank Mahovlich had an important influence in, in my life. But, you know, Dave Keon played 24 years. It was very, very easy for me to put him on the greatest the hockey news list, the NHL list. But here, he only 11 of the 24 years that Dave Keon played qualified under the parameters that we set. And three of those years were right at the end of his career when he was playing for the Hartford Whalers after having spent time in the WHA. So if you isolated those 11 years, they were, they, they were good. They were very good. They were, but, but not top 100 good. Mm. And so players like Dave Keon, players like Frank Mahovlich, there were an awful lot of players who, who spilled over into expansion, but probably had their best years just prior to expansion. And, and that, in addition to the complication of trying to figure out where a, a, a you know, an all-time great like Connor McDavid fit in at this, early stage of his career where someone like Leon Dreisaitl, who is, you know, right there as the, the one B star of the Edmonton Oilers, where does he fit in? So uh, I, I, I would have to tell you, I spent more time on this list than, than the others. And, you know, and I kept changing and trying different parameters. And, and even at the end of it, you're never completely satisfied with, uh, with, with the list. But at some point, you know, you lock it in, you send it in and you hope for the best. All right, here's how we're going to do this. In this first segment, we're going to uh, take a lap around the room, talk some generalities, player, you know, this the voting was last year, so things have changed. Uh, Con- Connor McDavid's overall ranking was a, a bit of a talker. Leon Dreisaitl not being on the list, I think, was, was uh, something people objected to. We're going to get into that. Second segment, we're going to talk about outliers on each of the panelists' lists. Each one of them had at least one person. They ranked completely different than the rest, and, and there's some interesting names and discussions to be had. And then third segment, we take your questions. We offered up uh, our email address. We don't like to share it with too many people, but heading into this, we offered it up, and a few of you reached out and, and had some questions and comments, even compliments for Sean, even one of them, surprisingly. So... Mm. Mm, Let's start with Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid, the, the voting. When was this? You you all voted. Let's say w- what month? It was June. It was February of last year. February of last is year when, is when the process started. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, let me start with this. Instead of specifically talking about Connor, who finished at number sixteen, Shana, let's. I'm going to start with you here and say, what would you have changed if you were voting today, if anything? Uh, probably would have had Connor McDavid higher because he has shown that his otherworldly play has somehow another level to it because he just wants to score goals now and can take over a game mm-hmm. more so than before. Kel McCarr probably would have been higher as well. And like, that was tough because we only had so many games to go with and we're docking players whose careers are done by like longevity. We don't have that with him, but you know, we knew he would rise just the extent I think was more than we expected. And, um, yeah, players like Leon Dreisaitl, like he had a standout moment in the playoffs playing on one leg and we can't let one playoff series influence it, but it was his moment to like break out as more than just he's amazing when he's with Connor McDavid and that's when he's supposedly hard caliber and he's horrible defensively. It's like, wait, he's a superstar in his own right. So those are like the changes, I think, that we've noticed since we voted. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are all good ones. Dan, what about you? When you look back, what would you have done differently or changed with time? Well, with the McCarr thing, I would agree. It's just we had a games played cutoff and McCarr didn't fit on it. And if we did this in the summer, I would have made a much bigger stink about it. I remember at the draft, I was talking with with Sean saying, Is, should McCarr be on here? Should we, will we look silly without him? And he's only played, he, I think it was less than 200 games. But what he's already done has been incredible. And we talk a lot about how we valued peak years during this process. And McCarr's peak is already with some of the all-time greats. Um 
I I just checked. I had Leon Dreisaitl at the highest. Um, I I would have put him higher uh, after go. that playoff run because <laughs> he he should have been on this list. I think if you have mm-hmm. Matthews, if you have McKinnon, I think Dreisaitl is is right there. And I I did put a lot of a lot bit more reverence to the the newer players and what they're doing because I think this is, might be one of the best eras the NHL has ever seen in terms of skill and. I think there should have been a, a better representation of that with how their peak is already looking, and Tricital is is one of those guys. Mm. Sean, how about you? You have a year to kind of stew over your list and what's happened since. Any changes? Generally, no. I don't think <clears throat> I don't think those oh, you are the nailed terms it. that we can. Wow. Th- okay. <laughs> I don't think those are the terms that we can think about this in. Honestly, right. like there's got to be a cutoff at some point. Like we can't predict what's going to happen. We couldn't predict that Kale McCarr was going to go out and do what he did in, in the in the playoffs. We couldn't predict that Dreisaito was going to have the maybe the individual in terms of an individual takeaway, you know, from last season's uh, playoff. It was it was him. It was him on one leg, right? But we we don't we don't know that that's going to happen. We can't predict the future. That said, I feel like personally, I feel like I screwed up on Dreisaito just in general, right? Like, mm. like he should have been there. He should have been on my list regardless of what happened in the playoffs. But like, in t- but as far as, you know, letting um, games played over the last year uh, push us in one direction or the other, I don't, th- I don't think we can really exist in that sphere because you have to end it at some point. And the, and the way to guard against that for me, when I was thinking about this so of course you know that like by the t- unless something crazy happens by the time it's all said and done Connor McDavid's going to be four and he mi- he's going to be top four and he might not mm-hmm. be fourth right so you need to account for that and you need to accept the fact that in fifteen years if people care enough to look at this list stuff's going to look bad that's the way it goes that's an occupational hazard of of doing this kind of stuff but you have to keep some kind of internal logic. I think with the way you approach it to set it up in a way, in a way that you can defend these lists are only as good as, is is what we can defend. Right. So right. that was the approach that I took. Um, I'm not worried about Connor having a great playoff last year and blah, blah. Cause that's just, that's the way it goes. And the way I guarded against that was I try, I really did try because we had all we had numbers courtesy of Dom and Shannon. We had peak scores. We had like one year, three year, five year peaks. I try to incorporate that a lot because I thought that at least if if I put real shrift in that, and I and you could say Connor McDavid's five year peak is here in relation to everybody else. I thought that was the the fail safe generally against giving short shrift to the current players. But with all that being said, Drysaddle is the one where I I feel like I just dropped the ball out of the gate. Like he should have been on there for me. Hmm. Eric, what did you, Sean talked about kind of peak years and when you're doing these lists, what do you value most when you you start ranking players over time and eras? What, yeah. Is there an element that you value most? No, because I think there's so many factors that go into it. Um, you know, area adjusted stats are, are, are a good example. So I, I started covering hockey full time in 80, 81 and, and I was based in Calgary and the team that played eight time games a year against Calgary was the Edmonton Oilers. And I think nineteen eighty five was the highest scoring year in NHL history. You know, certainly for most of the arc of, of my career. So you do have to adjust for the fact that that they were scoring four hundred plus goals at a time when, you know, 10, 15 years later, the dead puck era came in and it just changed the parameters for everyone. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think about the great superstars to come through Calgary. And where does Jerome McGinley apply, uh, you know, to the you know the gen- the Newendikes and the and, and the Hawkins Loops and the and the Joey Mullins and the Doug Gilmore's that came a generation before him because he played in an era when when it was just so much harder to, to score goals. When he's he's winning scoring titles with you know ninety two points when when you know others were scoring one hundred thirty. So that was a factor too. But I have to say that that everybody comes into these projects with a bias, and and I'm not sure what the 
opposite of a recency bias is, but but that was my bias, and and and, and strictly, it's what strictly is the opposite of a recency bias? I, I, that, I is there a word to for figure that? Out what I was trying to figure out, and I could not a come distance up with bias, the, distance bias, distancy bias. That's a word. Distancy, distancy is the word you're looking for. <laughs> Maybe like nostalgia bias. Nostalgia like bias. I think that might Longevity be it. Longevity bias. But, but but again, I was you know like I was conscious of the fact that that you know I'm I'm old enough to be everybody's dad or <laughs> even older than that. And but I did. I, I watched. I, I you know I, I started watching hockey in 1964, and uh, I was a uh, you know like a hardcore fan uh, right up through my teen years, and and I've been a professional paid sports writer since 1978. Mm-hmm. So I I did watch a lot of these guys play mm-hmm. for for a long time, and I felt that that I probably gave a little bit, you know, maybe I gave too much uh, weight to the. The performances of the Michelle Goulets and, and the Yvonne Cornways and the Roby Bashons and the Doug Wilson. I saw them play. I saw their impact. I saw their impact in the dressing room. Sometimes mm-hmm. those things are are hard to to, to measure. Um, it, it, you know, stats matter. Of course, they matter. Championships matter. Playoff performances matter. All those things matter. Uh, but but sometimes you just form an impression of a player. Uh, from dealing with them and watching them uh, against mm. their peers at that time, and I was I was trying to bring that perspective because I knew we would get you know a great perspective from from everybody that voted. I mean, every, you're not on this panel because you don't know hockey. You know a lot about hockey. Everybody who was on this panel deserves to be on the panel. But I felt that that was the one thing that I could maybe bring that 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 others who haven't been around as long <laughs> might yeah. not be able to. I so I you know I think I was surprised I I figure people go into this readers knowing there's going to be debate or whatever and people like were really like I I mean they would get worked up in the comments about where where people were placed and who was off the list and I love that like you know Daniel Nugent Bowman's bringing the list into the Oilers dressing room and asking about tries out all that 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 would make this fun and so I I I did want to see if there was he, d- he did that. I, did, I, did, I didn't realize he did that. Oh great, yeah, great, there was great, a. Great, 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 great. I mean, there was a lot of offshoots to this package. Uh, provided plenty of content. Um, was there? A, I'll go with you, Dom. Was there a reaction from the readers that surprised you in terms of anything from the the story angle to the players' rate ranking that you were like, oh wow, I didn't I didn't think people would react that way. I try to stay away from the comments lately. Oh, um, <laughs> mine are particularly Coward. bad. Um, I let Sean text me the bad ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're that guy, Sean. Hey, did you see this? Yeah, this did you see this one, you? buddy? <laughs> I think um, I've, I think I've, I think I've pivoted in the, in the last in the last few months. Yeah, in his away from comments. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been tough, but uh, I think the Matthews one was interesting. I guess I expected it to be the way it was because he's a leaf. And that's just the right. way it is. And with the context of Leon Dreisaitl not being there, I, I totally understand. But when you read the intro and see what the games played cutoff is, you know why that games played cutoff is. It's to make sure Matthews is on there because he, when all is said and done, might be the best American-born player uh, of all time. I and think so. And he's, he's yeah. on that trajectory, right? So yeah. he's got to be on there. And I think looking back, maybe that games played cutoff should have been lower to include Makar. But... I mean, it is what it is, and Matthews ended up being the the guy with the least experience, and he had to show up somewhere. But I mean, I I don't disagree with where he is. I I had him lower than he was on the list, but what he's done to date is up there. His peak is up there with some of the the best players of all time already. It's just a matter of getting that longevity. We should have awesome. put the games cut off at zero so we could get Bedard on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really project. Yeah. Austin Matthews came in at number 64 on the list. Connor McDavid, number 16. Shayna, let's say hypothetically we were to bound all of these fine stories that you all wrote and put it into a book, and it was coming out in a couple of years. So we have to re-rank them to to show for time, time past. Austin Matthews is at 64 now. Connor McDavid is at number 16. Two years from now, where do you see that ending up? Okay, so I see Connor McDavid absolutely is top 10 because I think you could honestly make the argument for him being top 10 now. Um, I'm going to say he is probably in two years 
God, he probably is scoring a ton and as miserable as ever in Edmonton. I don't think he asks out of there yet, so he still doesn't have a championship to his name, and that's going to wow. impact his uh, ranking right there. Right, right. Joyce Seidel's going to get off. Yeah. Okay, good, oh, yeah. good. Everyone's favorite team, the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. Joyce Seidel's begging to get out of there, so mm-hmm. now McDavid's really alone, and that's going to impact him. But I'm going to say he's going to be... I'm going to say he's number seven there because everyone's going to complain that he doesn't have a championship to his name. He doesn't have a con smite that he probably should. And there's nothing he can do to will his team unless he starts playing goal. When he does that, top five. <laughs> but two years from now, yeah, I'm going to say he's seven. Stu Skinner, Stu Skinner slander there, by the way. I know. Wow. We love Stu Skinner. Skinner okay? for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Jack Campbell's cap hit just sitting there. <laughs> He's nice, though. He's a nice locker room presence, so he can't be too mean to him. Um, we can be mean to I Tim won't Holland, take though. Any Jack Campbell slander on this podcast, you know the American edition will not allow it. Continue. Austin okay. Matthews goes from 64 Bye. to I, – I didn't mind Austin Matthews at 64. I I mean, maybe it's a bias, yeah, but I agree. Like, best, he'll, he'll end up being the best American player of all time. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, again, for him, championships going to be a problem playoff success going to come into the equation and like for me that's secondary honestly like trophy points playoff success is secondary it's a consideration just as longevity is but it's not the primary thing i think you know one year peak three year peak five year peak whole career Mm -hmm. what you're doing like that's first and foremost so with that in mind i think he's going to be like a top 25 player in two years the rate he's scoring goals the variety in his game the shot creation how much he can do by himself how much he can set up his teammates to like and there's the defensive acumen, too. If he can start killing penalties even more, I think that's just going to keep pumping him up higher because then he'll legitimately be in the selfie conversation because I think he could be right now, but the penalty killing is going to hold him back. So I'm going to say I could see in two years him being in that like 20 to 25 range. And I think a couple years later can you know slide even higher. You're also going to have the intangible benefit of uh, in two years whenever Austin Matthews brings a Stanley Cup to uh, the Arizona Coyotes. That's going to be huge. <laughs> That's, <true. laughs> That's going to raise him way, way up in the estimation of our of our panel here. And the vibes of a college party that he's going to bring, just like we respected it when it's McKinnon partying, Ovechkin partying, those are the intangibles that we don't talk about enough. I want to see him at Arizona State University no. just having the best time. <laughs> no. That's tough. I don't know. No, like (laughs) I don't think it's unreasonable that Austin Matthews wins the Stanley Cup in the next two postseasons. I I mean, I don't. And and with that, though, uh, with Toronto, I I don't think. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think. I don't think it's Arizona. I don't think it's unreasonable that he has a consummate. Like I think, I think this gap closes because all of these intangibles that we talk about. We talk. We're already talking about Kale McCarr's playoff performance and all all these huge stages that that impacts where people vote connor's going to do whatever connor does in edmonton i'm not optimistic about that as much but i don't think i I think it's i think the leafs will make a run at some point in time in the next two years and that's going to really close that gap and i don't think 64 is going to look bad at at the end of the day on austin if anybody had an issue with that um you know i I don't know maybe i'm wrong on that one i had him at 80th by the way Matthews. I was at 75. Um, I think 20 to 25 might be a little bit high for Matthews, even in two years. We have Malkin, 26. Wow, why are you so biased against the Leafs? I know. It's, that's that's what they say about me. <laughs> if, if you Mod- So who voted? Like so, Someone must have had Austin at like 10 or something. Um, who can we throw so, under the bus right now? Well, I mean, we yeah, have the list here. I, I, hope it's, I hope it's Mendez. Yeah, Ian's Fifty-two, 52 Scott is Scott Wheeler. Wheeler's the Wheeler. highest. And, and, and Myrtle. Oh, of course Myrtle it's Wheeler. Myrtle. Oh, Myrtle. 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 Oh, man. Get him at three. Everyone else in that 70, 80 range, really? <laughs> so, uh, I think biases are interesting. And, um, you know, Eric talked about his bias for maybe players of, of a different era. Even with that, I'm going to throw Scott Powers under the bus here because he can't defend himself. But, you know, Scott's <laughs> Close with Daryl Belfry, who, you know, he wrote a book with great book. Here's a plug. Go get Daryl's book with Scott Powers. Uh, but Daryl, Daryl will have you convince Austin Matthews is the best player who ever lived within 20 minutes of talking to him. He, you know, he talks about his work ethic and how he, and he'll get into detail about the skills he, he, he improves on every second. And so I, 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 I want to talk about bias a little bit. Uh, Eric, you kind of, you, you cop to yours. Sean, if, if you, if we're giving some truth serum, did you have any biases mm-hmm. that went into your assessments here that you can 
admit. I mean, there's no way to cut it that I had Chris Letang in the '60s, and I and I'm and I'm in Pittsburgh, and I'm the mm-hmm. same age as Chris Letang, and that guy's career has lasted from when I was in college until now. He's my he's a close personal friend. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Got a great kid, great kid. It's like he's like like four or five now. Love him, babysitter. Um. But I mean, like I, you, everyone wants to think that they that they don't bring in some kind of preconceived, you know, notion in, into these things, and it's just it's just mm-hmm. not true, and and it's borne out in the voting. Like I did, I since I did not go out and say, me, Dom, and Shane, all three of us had Latang on our list, and nobody else did, and then that was enough to drag him into the top one hundred. I I've joked about five? it. I I I've because it, it's funny, right? But I I've, I've <laughs> right. joked about it. But I didn't. I didn't go into this thing thinking like I'm gonna single handedly drag Chris Letang into the into the top 100. I looked at it and thought, okay, I think he's a, I think he's a step behind Duncan Keith and Drew Doughty, like in terms of uh, defensemen for this era, right? So so I mm-hmm. so I dropped him down a little bit, and I fully anticipated that that there were gonna be more people who had him in the 70s or the 80s or whatever. I did not think I was going to have him at 68th and be the outlier. So whenever the results come out and you look at it, I mean, that's just, that's a great example of me being like, okay, clearly like I'm like, I value what he's done more than anybody else because it's happened in the city that I live. We are of the same age group and I've covered this team on and off for the last however many years, right? Like that's like, Clearly, it it had it had some sway with me that it didn't with other people. You got to be honest about it. Like, there's no way yeah. around it. But the good part about the panel and about the way we did it and about the discussions that we had is that it kind of acted as a failsafe, right? Because Chris Letang shouldn't be the 68th best hockey player of 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 the modern era. But if he's 98 or 99 or wherever he ended up, that that, that seems a little bit more reasonable. And it's because of the counterbalance of of everybody else who. Submitted ballots as well. Hey, Craig, if I could just jump in for a second. Yeah, of One of the things that I did in terms of, of the process was that before I put the final ranking together, I broke everything down by position. So I had centers, I had wingers, and then I had mm-hmm. defensemen, and I had goalies. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to have fair representation for every position in the game. I mean, I, I used to serve on the Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee for 15 years, and and I don't think it's it's a big secret that goalies are notoriously underrepresented in the Hockey Hall of Fame. These mm-hmm. are the position players, and and that's always been a, you know a point of contention for me that if we put such an emphasis on uh, on goaltenders, why aren't there more goaltenders? So you know, for example, I had you know Jonathan Quick and, and Roby Bashan on my list, but in terms of this specific conversation about defensemen, you know, I think Chris Letang is a great player, but I when I rank the defensemen from one to uh, I think I had 20 22 on my list. I had him behind Doug Wilson and Larry Murphy. So I had Doug Wilson and Larry Murphy, two Hall of Famers, uh, on my list, slightly ahead of, of Chris Letang. And when we got to 100 names, Letang wasn't in my top 100. And I think that's a real important point that, you know, we could have had, if we had had 120 names, I, I think I, I had 10 people on my list that, that weren't on the final probably mm-hmm. all 10 of those players would have been on my list if we'd been able to to rank 120. But then, then our discussion would be uh, about who's 121st. And if we'd have ranked right, 150, right. we wouldn't mm-hmm. be having a discussion about who didn't make the cut at 151. So you have to have a cutoff somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you have to approach it in, in as, as rational a way that you can. And, and I will tell you this, I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me, but I probably spent more time moving guys up and down that list by position. And then mm-hmm. once I had it in my head, how I wanted the defenseman rank, then whoever missed the cut, missed the cut. So that, and I thought that was a fair way of handling. Um, before we go to the next segment, I do want, my bias would have been um, certainly towards the era where I was at all the finals that, you know, the Red Wings, Blackhawks, Penguins, Kings era. And I, I thought Kopitar got slighted. Like that was my, if I was, you know, in the comments section, which I was under a name, but we don't, you know, it's, it's not my own name and going after you all. I like that, that Kings team was so dominant and Kopitar was so good. Um, and, and I know like everyone's got probably has a version of that. And that's, so that was my, I'm like, if we're in this span of time, he was 
um, as good as any center in the league on both both sides. Like I like that, I that force him through. Like I I like I was, but that was one of the, the the revisions that I made. I was like, I need to get this guy on there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Craig, yeah. six six out of the nine of us had Kopitar on the list. Six out of the nine, but because he's seven. Seven? Sorry, I, I, yeah. I, I'm blind. I seven. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So o- only who are the two people gone that, that, that yeah, let's because uh, he's Mendez, yeah, Mendez and Wheeler. Under the bus. Yeah. Mendez okay. and Wheeler. Okay. I think he, finished, he finished hundred and second. I, I think we're allowed to say oh, that. Oh, did he, he really? He finished okay. two. He finished two out of the top one hundred. And most of us had him in our top one hundred. So so you can you, your your point is well taken, Craig. He should have been on the list. Most of us thought the same thing. I think the issue is that aside from me and Shayna putting him 76 and 72nd, everyone else had him just at the cusp around 95 right. to 100. Yeah. Mm. And that, uh, that hurt. That's no similar one... with Brad Marchand yeah. with the two of us, Brad right? Like we had him one. 70s I, and 80s. Mm-hmm. I had him on there. I, I had him on mine. Oh, wait. I'm, I'm sorry. I did not scroll all the way to the right. I wanted to call you out yeah, for being wrong. It's, it's once again the, <laughs> the youth trifecta. You had him at 99, though. That's like, that's like you didn't care to have him. Like, <laughs> yeah, you didn't want to fight for him. You know what I was, you know what I was He's trying to talk shit to you on Twitter now. You're going to deserve it. I was just trying. I, I was playing 4D chess there and wanted like a, like a big uh, like controversial name at 99 or 100 on the list. That's all. That's I what I do. I, I, I do it for the content. Agree. I do it for the readership. That's what I was. That's what I was. But going if you for. put him at ninety nine on yours, that's your way of like you're like I don't want to get shit from Brad Marchand when he reads this, so he's on my <laughs> list when it gets revealed. But I don't actually want him on there. You need him in the seventies. You have to fight for him. My nineties list is just full of pe- full of guys that I put on there, so uh, so Eric wouldn't be mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is I just the don't. Best I don't want to. I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to disappoint Eric. I don't care about their readers. Come on. I don't look like a. I don't. I don't want to look like a like 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 a dummy with Eric. I can't wait till you that, have um, the nineties to hundred was the hardest mm, part of the list. It was honestly, brutal. because yeah. it was, it was like yeah. you could literally go. I could have him off. I could have him on. And you knew too, like if I vote this person 90 and no one has him, he's not making it. It doesn't fucking matter. So yeah. sorry. Am I allowed to go? Yeah, you can. Yes, just you go are. Okay, Producer good. Jeff just has to put explicit on it now. That's fine. <laughs> A little like, okay. extra work for just, I'm JD. sorry. I realized like as it comes out of my mouth, like wait, quick body track that. But no, if, if you, if you put someone in the nineties, like it's, it's like Sean with Marshand. You want him so you look good that he's on your list, but you don't actually care if he makes it. Right. Okay. Well, so we'll get in. I, I, I like that as a setup for the next segment. We're going to get into your personal outliers. Um, I think we touched on a little bit, but we have some good, some good debate coming up. So we'll be right back for segment two. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are back with segment two where we are going to talk about each one of our panelists on this podcast. I don't want to say mistakes. Um, well, let me think for the right word here. You just Most, skip mine. I've already, I've already talked about it. Well, we, I've got, a, I've got, we've got another one of yours, Sean. We'll, we'll, we'll let Chris Letang uh, that conversation stand. We've got another one for you to to get into. Um, we've got, we've got a good Mark Messier debate to come. But I'm going to start, and we're going to lead off with the big one to me with Shayna uh, on this. I one. knew you were going. To. Well, what do you want me to do, <laughs> Shayna? So here's here's what happened on this one, uh, Bobby Orr who finished number three overall, um, you know, the greatest defenseman who ever played. Uh, I guess arguably we have to say now. Uh, Shana, <laughs> you're, no, you're, you are, you are, the by the way, hold on, a second, hold on a second. Greatest defenseman you've ever played. You're clearly ignoring uh, Chris Letang. <laughs> well, obviously, Chris Letang aside. Um, and I come in with a Nicholas Lidstrom bias, but anyways, uh, Shana had him eighth. Now, thankfully, that didn't <laughs> knock him out of the top 10 or anything like some of these other ones. Uh, it didn't move, didn't seem to move Bobby or uh, um, too, too drastically. But Shane, I'm sure, I don't know if you revealed this or shared it anywhere, but you know, what, what, what went into that thought process? I'm not saying you were wrong, but I, it was a bold stance. <laughs> I'm not saying you're right either though. I, I, I see where you're going. <laughs> um, 
you know, I just hate defensemen and mm-hmm. I hate older players. So I was I just like, screw them. Uh, one, um, one of those things is true. Yeah. <laughs> I love defense and I'm like the defenseman defender over here. Um, no, like I knew that I could vote him literally. I, I knew I could like not even have him on my list and it right. wouldn't affect him. So right. let's start with that. Like he would be fine. But I just think that I think we have to talk about longevity. I think we held against Mike Bossy. The fact that his career was shortened by injuries, which is fair. Like when we get to these top 20 players, we have to. It's not a player's fault that their body can't hold up. But like if you didn't play as long, it should impact your score. His peak years were outstanding. Yeah. But like we also should look at the league at that time and the quality of competition around him. And like it's nice to see someone dunk on like the Minnesota North Stars and the Detroit Red Wings who weren't very good. But like. I don't know. I take that into consideration as well. Like you were dominating bad teams. You were part of a very good team. So I just want to like knock him down a peg. I didn't not. I mean, eight is still very respectable, especially when you consider how short his career was. I think that we underappreciate Nick Lidstrom, who to me is the best defenseman of all time. Um, I, I'm not going to. I mean, that's that's defend certainly something you can defend. Did anybody in this group here have Bobby or number two overall? I know some voters did. Uh, I did. Yeah. I, okay. So yeah. I'll I'll give the floor to you, Eric, for a counterpoint here, since you had Bobby as n- number two overall on your list. What was it about him that you thought put him in that top? Well, I, I mean, I, I thought the top three were Wayne Gretzky, Mary and Bobby Orr. So basically, uh, and, and I, because I voted on this these projects previously. I already had that discussion in my head about, you know, is Gretzky number one? And, and, and I concluded that he was. So I had him at one and then I stared at Oren Lemieux or Oren Lemieux back and forth. And, you know, you have two, two of the giants of, of the game, both of whom had their careers shortened by injury. So there were a mm-hmm. lot of parallels between the two. And they, and, and the reason that I tipped it in, in favor of Orr was because I felt that he revolutionized the game. So, you know, if you, if you take all of the other, strip all the other factors out, what did Bobby Orr do that Mario Lemieux didn't? And, and that was he changed the way the game of hockey was played. So up until Bobby Orr came along, defensemen defended, you know, once in a while the Doug Harley would go up on the rush, but they were completely uh, outliers. Uh, you know, and, and then Bobby Orr came along. And Harry Sinden gave free reign to play. And that created a style of play that other teams copied and other players coming through the ranks were able to, to piggyback on. You know, I had a discussion with Paul Coffey in my profile of Bobby Orr about that. And, and Paul was great, by the way. Paul was like, Eric, yeah, I said, I said, Paul, you know, you broke Bobby's single season goal scoring record. I said, you were the one of the very few guys that, you know, conversationally when, when it comes to, to pure stats. We can talk about it in the context of Bobby Orr. And he said, no, no, don't. No, that was Bobby Orr, you know. And, <laughs> right, and for, right. for me to try and compare myself to Bobby Orr would be like if a young quarterback came in the NFL and, and tried to draw comparisons to Tom Brady, Tom Brady, impossible to do. But, but I think that he fundamental, his presence in the game and what he was able to do on the ice tipped the scale slightly for me. When, when it came to decide between Orr and, and Lemieux at, uh, at, at two or three. And, and I have to tell you, if, if you talk to the people who played against, I, I mean, or, or even came behind, uh, you know, I, I thought Al McKinnis told a really great anecdote too, because Al was a different type of player, not a great skater. So, you know, he, he was very careful to, to say that he changed the game for the Coffees and the Brian Leeches. And the, and the K.L. McCarts, but not for me because I was, you know, more of a, a plotter. He said, but he said, the first time I watched his highlights throughout his entire career. And then I walked out onto the bench at Maple Leaf Gardens the first time I ever played at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I looked at one end of the ring and I looked at the other end of the ring. And I thought, that ice is so small, so small. And then when you look at the highlights of how Bobby Orr played, he said he made it look like the St. Lawrence River. He's going up and down the ice. He's you know, dropping a glove and picking it up and still in control of the puck. He's behind the net. John Davidson, this got cut out of the story, but told a very similar anecdote about a time in, in St. Louis where they were a pretty good defensive team and Bobby Orr killing a penalty just had the puck for 90 seconds and no one could take it off them. It was mm-hmm. on a string. So it was more the kind of thing that you see in rec hockey or, or, you know, 
your, your, your son's peewee team when there's that one kid that just, you know, that, that is just so much better than everybody else that he just dominates on every ship. And that's really what Bobby Orr was. So, you know, again, it's as much the eye test, uh, and, and the fact that, you know, he was the Norris Trophy winner for it, it, you know, basically every year that he played at re- mm-hmm. a reasonable level of health. I mean, he, he was just, you know, he, he, the difference between him and, and the next best defenseman. In, you know, in his era was, was a chasm, a chasm. And, uh, hmm. so yeah, it, it was not very difficult for me to put before at that point. But again, you know, I watched him play, uh, I met him like I was a 12 year old when he was still that brush cut kid from, uh, from Perry Sound. I, you know, I thought he changed the way the game was played. And, and we still see ripples of that in, in today's game. All right, Dom, you're up. You had. Mark Messier, who finished number 17, I believe, on our list. Not high enough for some people. I will say that one, Drew. People didn't like that we had Mark Messier that low. Um, they thought he, he was disrespected. I think including uh, former employees of the athletic. Carpe didn't like it. He, he covered Mark Messier closely. Um, but you know, we're call, you, know we're calling him, you know what we're calling his placement on the list, actually? The 17th greatest player in the history of the post-expansion NHL presented by Mark I Messier. Mean, Hmm. well you would think he would have gotten higher dom you didn't he didn't crack your top 25 barely cracks your top 30 uh mark messier came in at number 29 on your list i believe um why do you hate mark messier uh i i don't i don't hate anyone on this list uh i just think he is a bit overrated um, I think he played in an era where it was really easy to score. And I think with a lot of my list, you'll see a lot of guys from the 80s who are significantly lower than I think some people would want because it was such a high-flying time where your grandma could have scored 15 goals. Um, and Messier played on the best team don't, of that era. Don't drag Marge Custance into this. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Mary B. Gentilly would have potted 25, let me tell you. Sorry, go ahead. I'm not even gonna tell you what Teresa Duhat took with that. Yeah, I I don't know. I thought his his biggest claim is his his longevity and that he scored a lot in the 80s, and it didn't really do it for me in terms of making him putting him in the top 20. I respect and understand why he would be in Maybe I'm wrong for being a bit more biased towards peak years and players who did it in a more difficult era, but I like it just doesn't do it for me. I think he's a bit overrated for just playing a lot. Hmm. How much did I mean? So much of what surrounds Mark Messier is is some of the you know the leadership the stuff. The, the, the lore. there's a lot of lore around Mark Messier, and and I think there are you know there's Steve Eisenman has a bit of that, and people didn't love where he was on the list. How much? It's, did you and I don't know if anybody feels strongly about this question, so I'll I'll open up the floor, which I shouldn't do. But the lore around players, did you try to just block that out completely, or do you factor in some of that, you know, the leadership and some of the off ice stuff that people love to tell? Sometimes, like I I blocked it out mostly, especially for Messier. I was I was two years old when he made his his promise that they would win, and it'll just I I I love that he did that and that he backed it up. It's just that. <laughs> It is just a moment in a long career, and that doesn't really make me want to say he's 28th or 27th because of it. I think I try to focus on the body of work and mm-hmm. the peak body of the work. Yeah. So, and this is a good segue to uh, another former Oiler. Uh, Glenn Anderson didn't make the list, but Eric, you had him at number 72. So, that's a pretty, I think he ended up at 112 overall in, in the rankings. So it wasn't even like uh, you know a Kopitar snub. It was it was pretty far down. Um, did you do you feel like everyone else got it wrong, or what? Why do you why do we have a big Glenn Anderson gap here? Yeah, well, uh, and that's my big outlier. Uh, that's mm-hmm. my Chris Letang, and that has everything to do with this playoff <laughs> that's performance. Chris Letang. Uh, Glad that's no, the, the, yeah. the 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 ruling stick by what by outliers. Yeah. <laughs> the Chris Letang. <laughs> the Chris Letang. Uh, yeah, I I I just think that it. it uh, that what what do we value in in hockey in the NHL? What what do we value? We value winning in the playoffs. You know, we you can talk mm-hmm. all you want about regular season statistics, but but once the puck 
drops in April and somebody raises the Stanley Cup uh, two months later, at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about that team and those players. I mean, why are we having the Kale McCarr discussion? It's because of how well he played in that particular playoff. Uh, yeah. And, and, and he was, he was fantastic, but, you know, one of the great, he is going to be one of the greatest defensemen in the history of the game. So then, then you look at Glenn Anderson and, and I remember Glenn saying that, well, first of all, I covered Glenn Anderson in 79-8 on the Canadian Olympic team before he ever got to the, the NHL. So I was aware of who this guy was. That Russian team that, uh, that lost in the Americans in the Miracle on Ice, the Canadians always beat them in that tournament. I was out of the class of covering the Canadian team. And the one player that they were worried about on that, not that talented Canadian team was Glenn Anderson because he skated so well and he was so fearless going to the net. The number of times that he turned those Soviet defensemen inside out, beating them by driving to the net was, was extraordinary. So if you watch mm. the way he played, he had this recklessness about him. Now, the, the downside of Glenn Anderson was that he was somebody that couldn't get focused for every game. So, so if you look at his career numbers, you know, very good. You know, I think uh, almost a point a game player. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere, like I think 1,100 points and a little over 1,100 games. But in the playoffs, when it mattered and when he was focused, he was dynamite. I mean, he he's fourth in playoff goals, fourth in playoff points. I think 214 and 225 games. He won six Stanley Cups. Um, he had the, he has the most game winning goals in Edmonton Oilers history, more than Gretzky, more than Messier. I mean, he was a guy that rose to the occasion. And so you, know, you were asking earlier, like about mythology. Well, to me, I don't know if mythology is the right word there, but, but I will tell you that, you know, watching this guy from April until June, uh, what was, was extraordinary. Like he was, he was at another level. Now, if he could have brought that in the regular season, I don't think we would be having this discussion. But I felt that, I mean, playoffs matter. Playoffs matter to hockey fans. Playoffs matter to hockey reporters. You know, Craig, you and I used to go to the finals all the time. That was just, you know, part of what we did in, in mm-hmm. our generation. And whenever I saw Glenn Anderson play in the playoffs, he, he was often their best player. And so that, that was why I rated him as, as highly as, as I did. I, I just flat out think that that matters. We'd go to playoff games. We'd sneak into concerts. We did a lot. Oh, are we going to tell that story? <laughs> time has passed. We, I got kicked out. You got in. I had to be your. I, I distracted the security guards. Um, Sean, Shawnee, Sean. So besides Chris Letang, um, I actually don't mind. I, I'm on board with this one. Um, Marion Hosa finished 84th overall on the list. Uh, you had Marion, my one of my three favorite players of all time to cover and deal with at mm-hmm. number fifty-eight. So, so you, you love your defensive wingers, like your your two-way wingers, right? Is that yeah? That be a I fair do. Like that? <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's I think <laughs> like, it's an I think it's an undervalued I think it's an undervalued player profile, and I think there was probably some level of um, I don't want to say retribution because that sounds like it was a little bit more thought out than it was, but it might've been some unconscious, you know, desire on my part to place him to uh, do right by Marion Hills after a career. Like I, he should have won, he should have won Selkies, <laughs> you know, like that's just always the way that I've, that, that, that I, that I felt about him. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've, the way I looked at it was his, it, the, his career was maybe undervalued on a larger scale in the type of player he was, I think is maybe undervalued on a larger scale. So I don't know if that, if this is me, you know, again, trying to make up for that or whatever, but that's a, that's a gap. Again, that's another one. That's a yeah. significant one where I was surprised. And I was surprised to see it because I, because as I'm going through the process and you're looking at a guy like Nikita Kucherov or whatever, I think he's mm-hmm. maybe a decent comparison because I had him in the same, you know, the same tier, but I'm like, okay, well, Kucherov, great as he is, his career, his career A isn't over yet. Hosa did it over a longer span of time and was a more complete player, even though he wasn't, you know, obviously wasn't a scoring champion or anything. So I gave him the edge on that based on body of work and just the overall idea that now it seems possible for a winger to win a Selkie in a way that it just Mm -hmm. didn't, you know, to me 15, 15 years ago. Right. So I was, giving him credit for the, in a weird way, in a very minuscule way, it's sort of the same rationale that, you know, leads to Bobby Orr uh, getting placed at, you know, second, right? Because you're like, he's, right. he sort of opened the door to make things possible and made people think a little bit 
differently about wingers, at least in this century, right? I, I can't speak to the way people treated them in 1969 or whatever, but I think I think that I think there was a little bit of a paradigm shift that came with Hosa, right? And that's something that I clearly valued a little bit more than than the other folks did. All right, before we go to segment three, quick lap around the room. You have a playoff run. You get peak Kopitar or peak Marion Hosa. Who you, who oh. you got? Kopitar. Mm-hmm. Kopitar. It's Kopitar. You go. Yeah, see, see, this is this is this is. I'm like, yeah, you still got to go with the center. It's 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 not like I'm 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 ignoring my own rule, right? But I had Kopitar on my list, so it's none of my business. Uh, Tom, I'm gonna go Kopitar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I I say Kopitar. I feel like Hosa. The knock against him is gonna be that he wasn't like the star of his team, and Kopitar was that defensive presence, and yet the star of his team. I think that's like, he's the driver of the Kings in their championship era. While Hosa was a key piece who I think I had the next best vote for him behind mm-hmm. Sean. So I love big Mary fan Hosa. of his game yeah, yeah. and yeah, agree with the reasoning, but I, I give Kopitar the edge. So I, Kopitar, I sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to jump <laughs> back in, but, uh, but this, this wasn't, this was a point that we're ma- like, we're releasing our ballots. Like everyone's going to see where right. we put everybody. This is going on the site. In, in the next couple of days, it'll be probably up by the time uh, folks are listening to this. Kopitar got screwed by not winning that second Conn Smythe in the Kings, in the Kings playoff run, the Justin Williams Conn Smythe mm. run. I don't even want to say that Justin Williams, cause like what at Mr. Game seven and blah, blah, he had big moments and memorable stuff. And like, I don't want to take a, t- take a leak on Justin Williams for this. Right. But if Kopitar wins that, he should have. he's it, which he should, <laughs> probably should have he's in the 80s i'm convinced of that so and that's so while you're parsing it out and you're doing your internal math and you're coming up with your own individualized list before you send in your big spreadsheet that was that wasn't that was a consideration for me like this guy kind of got screwed in in a in a round of trophy voting and it's going to stop him from you know ultimately making the list I, I have the two very close and I want to make sure that I stayed true to my list when I made this decision. And I, I have Kopitar at 76 and Hosa at 79. So I'm good with sticking with Kopitar and not doing some revisionist history now that the question's out there. Mm-hmm. I just, because because Gmail saves everything, I was just looking at my um, consmite vote from, that was that was uh, June 13th, 2014. I had Justin Williams, Dowdy two, Kopitar three. <gasps> so here I am. Justin Williams won the Cowdy. he won the Con Smythe in the Blackhawks series. Like once the once that yeah. seri- once that once that playoff series unfolded the the way that it did, like you could you wrote it in pen that that, Will- that Williams was going to end up is is the is the is the con if uh, if the Kings actually you know finish the job. All right, coming up next, we go into the email inbox. And we get some questions from you, dear listener, and we'll get some responses. We will be right back. All right, we are back for the final segment. As Sean and I always like to do, we turn segment three over to you all because at that point we are done doing any of the work. And in this case, we took on a a few emails uh, to talk about the list. And I'm going to dive right into them instead of uh, going to the comments like we normally do because that's way too hard and complicated. This uh, first email comes from Christopher Boyd. Christopher, thanks for sending in uh, this this question. And just goes right into the attack. First, uh, how you put Sackick ahead of Steve Eiserman is beyond me. Stevie had an extra cup, a Selkie, and in my book, the Pearson and Hart for each are equals because Gretzky and Lemieux exist in the 80s. But whatever. Clearly, there's some pro Colorado bias in the athletic. Would anybody agree with that? Do we feel like we've got pro Colorado? No, of course not. I have never yeah, that's heard that everybody. This is the first yeah. accusation. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is a Detroit-based uh, email. But my, yeah. my real gripe is how are these guys not back to back on the list? Great captains, great ambassadors of the game. The only two guys uh. on either side of that historic rivalry the other team didn't really hate. Okay, maybe Lidstrom too. That's true. Like, um, anyways, we'll get to this. Someone should check their birth records and see if they are fraternal twins separated at birth. If you had right. done this okay. right, they would have been tied for 14, Chris Boyd. I don't know That's if we insane. can respond to that. Insane, Chris. <laughs> you want us to manipulate the voting panel. 
First, but first of all, Craig, he answered his own question because what he said is it's splitting hairs. And I think that all of us that looked at this, I don't have my ballot in front of me, but I, I, I know I had Sackick ahead of Eisenman, but it could have gone either way. They, they, they both contributed so much over the course of, of their careers. And, and I'm trying to think of why I had Sackick ahead of Eisenman. I, I think simply because towards the end, Stevie was so beat up that he wasn't the player that he was mm. at his peak towards the end of his career. And I think a little bit at the start of his career, you remember, you probably remember better than anyone, Craig, that it took a while for yeah. Stevie Eisenman to morph into that presence that we all think of him as, the, the great leader, the, two, the two-way player, the, the guy that just got it done, who was the driving force behind one of the great dynasty teams of all time. So if you subtract, you know, first few years of Eisenman and the last few years of Eisenman, and then you look at Sackick, who maybe, you know, was more of an impact player right away and, and lasted a little bit longer at the other end, you know, you, you slightly tilted towards Saki. But again, it's splitting hairs. And I think the reader acknowledged that in the way he framed that question. Uh, I, I do I do want to get sp- specifically say, though, like, Sakic was 13 and Eisenman was 15. And he's saying they should be tied for 14th. I think I don't think he really means we should have Gila, manipulated the Gila, votes. Gila, I don't. You'd be. So, I don't know, man. You never know. And, and Gila Fleur is is fourteen. So good luck choosing between <laughs> the three of those guys. It's crazy. The, Joe, the Joe Sackick won an Art Ross. That's why I picked him. How about that? You won like an actual and answer. And I'm like Ty goes. Ty goes. Yeah, Ty goes to the to the guy who who won a scoring title in a heart. Whatever. Yeah. It's such a slight edge, but there is. It's it's there. It exists. Yeah, I looked back and uh, Joe Saka had three first team All-Stars, a Hart Trophy, Pearson, Art Ross. Steve Eisman had the Selkie, which the reader mentioned, failing to mention what Saka really did. So it's just, it's they are very close. Their career stats are very close. When we looked at their total win value, their peak, one year, three year, five year, very close. But the edge was usually Saka and he had the, the more prestigious awards. You can make you can make your You hate defense. You hate you, defensive awards. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. Like Hart Selkie, you you're going with the heart. Everyone wants the heart. Craig, were you in the dressing room that I am trying to remember if it was the I think it was the second Colorado Stanley Cup when Milan Hayek's father was standing there uh in, in, in the celebration and that was the the one where Sack scored the goal between the legs of the defenseman, and, and it was mm-hmm. just like, and he, and he said to him in, in, in broken check, "You are the greatest player ever." And Joe was there, and he was just, he was, he was touched, but he was kind of embarrassed in that Joe Sack game, right. you know, "Don't look at me, don't look at me" kind of way. And, and I, I mean, it, 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 it was one of those moments where, you know, like the hated his father, you know, because Joe, that's you know, awesome. dragged hated to that chance. I mean, it was, it was great, and, and he was, he, he was just. He was so important on on that team. He carried himself with with you know class and dignity, and and, and I, I think honestly you could have Joe a little bit higher if it wasn't for the fact that he was so self effacing and he kept trying to direct attention to to everybody around him. I mean, he was just a, one of the flat out best players I've ever covered in my life, and I I have no problem having him where where we had him. I think the the point Chris makes that. I mean that rivalry was that's was as good as any I've ever lived through in any sport in terms of just the hatred like there was bl- it was bloodlust like literal like the Draper stuff and all that and and Chris is right to say like Sackick and Eisenman seem to be above it all right like the fan base is kind of mm-hmm. like oh yeah Sackick's actually really good and I'm not mad at like love them you I hate but Sackick's great yeah. and I, I I think that says something about each of the players that they kind of were excused from that that hatred from the other side all right. Second email comes from Sam. Says, hey, Tuesday boys. This is Sam from Indiana. Hey, Sam. Two comments, no bitching. I loved the Patrick Kane story, though as Blackhawks faithful since birth, it made me incredibly sad. I can already tell that my future kids will be really sick of hearing about the good old days of when the Blackhawks <laughs> had Kane and Taves right. and Hosa and Keith. Bedard. Um, oh, he'd he, he beat us to it. Maybe they'll grow up seeing Bedard race cups for my Hawks, but we all know that pick is going to Arizona so they can ruin his career. Wow, this is great. This is better than so, anything we're on. So Austin Matthews <laughs> wants to go there. Arizona, Arizona has, Arizona, Arizona, has Logan, Arizona has Logan Cooley. They don't need anybody else. West Mifflin, yay. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Number two, he even numbered his thoughts. Number two, I might publish this. This is good. Sean, this may potentially be a refreshing comment about the Fedorov story, 
but I actually <sighs> like the angle you took. I'm going to pause and explain Thanks. to the listener who hasn't been part of this this trope that's dominated our discussion. Sean, we, we asked our, uh, everyone to you know find a unique angle that hadn't been told ideally or tell stories about these players in a way that hadn't been told, which is hard to do for a lot of players. Sean Gentili had Sergei Fedorov, and he wrote about the skates, which I, I loved. It was so memorable um, for me, you know, growing up in Detroit. Those skates were, were it was a cool story. Ninety nine percent of the readers hated it, right, John? Is that, was that good? Ninety nine. Wait a second. Ninety nine percent of the Red Wings fans who read that probably hated it. Yeah, what are you gonna Sam do? Sam from Indiana. Go, uh, I'll, I'll, go, we'll watch go, the, the go watch the Russian Five if if you want a great look at you know. Go to Wikipedia. Great, if you want. Read read the. <laughs> Read the book, watch, watch the doc. Like there's, that's been done already. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to top that one. Sorry. Sorry, folks. Sam from Indiana continues as someone who considers himself a shoe connoisseur, the shoe culture of the other sports, primarily basketball uh, is a subject of conversation with the biggest stars seemingly having their own designs, uh, etc. Taking an equipment based approach to talk about someone wearing skates that stand out from the rest was unique in my opinion. If I could skate worth a shit, I would try and find some to buy for myself. So we found we found your defender, Sean. There we go. Thank you. What, what, now what that was, there's what a shoe person? angle, I might have to become a defender too. <laughs> I love it. It's true. I mean, like th- that is. I, I and I think there's who who was who wrote that email again? Oh, that was Sam from Indiana. Your biggest Sam fan. from Indiana. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Welcome, welcome to the Sean Gentilly Army of Champions. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> No, I just, I mean, yeah, I, it's, uh, I, I, I obviously feel the same way. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sneaker guy. I'm a shoe guy. Like I've, I like aesthetics when it comes to other sports and I, yeah, I wanted, wanted to bring a little bit of that, you know, to it, but all due respect to Sergey Fedorov who like, I, like, I hope that's, I hope that came through in the Fedorov piece. Like he was the, he was the guy for someone who was born in 1986 or 1987 or that, that generation of, of person specifically, like. I came of age when Sergei Fedorov was the coolest hockey player on the planet, right? And and I think that's I think that was true for a lot of people. So thank you, Craig. Can I make a shout out yeah. to Ian Denemy, who was one of the uh, anonymous oh, editors at the at, at the at the Athletic, who babysat this project and uh, did a great job. Uh, you know, I think it took over his life. Uh, probably didn't see his kids for most of the last twelve months. But I will tell you. We were we all gathered together in June in Montreal at the draft, and Ian made a presentation about the NHL '99 project. And I, mm-hmm. I, I can I can repeat exactly what his words were, and, and you uh, referenced it in uh, in the question that you asked. It was, "Tell me something I didn't know about a player that has been written about hundreds and thousands of times." And mm-hmm. and the fact that he gave us enough lead time to do that, right? So he, he said that in June. And then you had the whole summer to think about it. Okay, what what can I tell you about Paul Korea that you don't already know? Everybody knows the concussion history. Everybody. I, 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 by the way, I I love I loved your Korea story, Eric. I think that was that mm. that's a top ten easy uh, piece that ran al- alongside all those. I loved it. Well, th- thank you very much. But I'll tell you how it happened. I was having lunch with Paul in Tustin, and he, he he and Val, his his partner, were there, and they brought their dog Wyatt, and. And for two hours, Wyatt was going back and forth between Paul and, and Val. And we were talking about hockey. We were, you know, we were talking about all the normal things. And finally, it was like, what's the story with the dog? You know? <laughs> and, and I was going to ask Shana we, that, by the way. We have a friend. Which one, which one is, which one is that? Which one is that, Shana? This is Kona. Kona's destroyed. She can't find Zeke. Oh, hi, Kona. So she's been crying walking around the house because Zeke's sleeping in a spot that Kona doesn't know about. <laughs> Anyway, at, at the end of an hour and a half of a bunch of conversation about hockey and life and everything else, Paul started talking about Wyatt and ten-year-old Maltese. And you know, I, I, I had Ian's voice and his admonition in my head when I sat there, and I thought, well, I could go this way or I could go that way, and it's like I'm going with Wyatt the dog. So, <laughs> so, that, that, <laughs> I, and I think that was important. I think that yeah. that step this project apart. I mean, Luke Robitaille talking about walking the, the, the Camino. Uh, you know, Rob Blake, mm-hmm. you know, and Craig, you profiled Rob, uh, head of the Hall of Fame, so you know the story. You know, picking tobacco as, as a 15-year-old kid and having to take time off from his summer job to try out for, for a junior team, junior B team, and his mm-hmm. father stepping in on the tobacco-picking crew 
for Rob to go and try out for that team. If he doesn't try out for that team. He doesn't have an NHL career. He doesn't have a college career. You know, he's, he's basically out of hockey and, and, you know, so unspool that thread to get from that tobacco farm as a 15 year old to junior B to bowling green to the NHL to the Hall of Fame to the manager of, of the Kings. I mean, it, it's, it's the classic road not taken. These stories were so much fun to write. They were so much fun to write. Honestly, it gave me so much energy at this very late stage of my career to be able to, to participate in this. And I, I, I loved writing them and I loved reading. It, it was it, it was great. It was just really fun. You loved you loved writing them. You loved writing them so much that you uh, that you wrote thirty five of them. In fact, <laughs> like, this doesn't this them. this doesn't this 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 project doesn't get doesn't get done without Eric Eric to hatch. Mike my gosh, the, the the amount of work you put in was just in the in the in the caliber of it was through the roof. Thank um, you very much. I appreciate it was great. That. And I'm glad you mentioned Ian Denemy, um, assisted by Rich Hammond. So many of you know, covering the Kings, Rich also had a, a hand in, in the editing process. And I, I know a lot of work went into this. We'll get, I think we can give shout outs at the end here. I, I just wanted to ask this one last question. I might have been Chris Boyd circling back saying, um, on this list, most of these players are, are already in the Hall, Hockey Hall of Fame, but some are still playing and a few just finished and are coming up on their first chance. Zetterberg is one of those. Should they all get in? Is everybody in the NHL 99 project an eventual Hall of Famer? Huh. Yes. Chris Letang definitely will be, right? Should be. But no, I... <laughs> Should be. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say a uh, big I'll yes on, to like... I'll, I'll, be, I'll be on the committee by that point. Yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right, Eric? Sure. Right? Uh, right, Eric? It's <laughs> like the players wow. who just finish like the Zetterbergs and the Lundquist, I think are sure things. And then it's like, if you're good enough to make this list and still playing, the Matthews, the uh, Kucherov, Hedman, Kopitar, like those... Those players, I think all are all are yeses. And the players who we're talking about, should we have changed the rules for like Kale McCarr? It's like, yeah, yes to them too. All right. It's really funny. What's really funny is when you look at current players, it's almost like everybody is either in the top 100 and with, with some, with some, or very, very close to it in the case of Kopitar and Brad Marchand or not in the discussion. It's interesting. Like, like I, I think there was kind of whether we realize it or not. It was like if these guys are gonna be Hall of Famers, if they're really on track for it, they're gonna be in, they're they're gonna be in the top one hundred. Other, otherwise, you know, let's see what happens. Pretty much, big gap though. All right, last last, I'll open the floor to anyone who has any parting shots here, any thoughts about the project, shout outs, or anything else and i would i really want to echo what sean said about eric's work on this i mean everybody put a ton of work into it but eric it was it, your perspective i think was invaluable um the work was was awesome like it was, it was just a treat to wake up and see what was on the site that day and, and so much of it was your work so that was great thank you very much all right well then i'm going to wrap up the, the podcast thank you all for doing this um for, for explaining your picks i'm sure as we release ballots over the next couple of days the debate will continue so this is valuable perspective um jeff producer jeff for setting this up always great a quick plug to wrap up uh we got mike rupp is going to be on the show with uh granger russo and piso uh on the roundtable show this week don't forget to review and do all the things you should do about a good podcast give it five stars and then you can write whatever you want um after that and you want to subscribe to the athletic and read all of this fine work if somehow you're in, in, in i think the small uh, minority of hockey fans who are not subscribers you can go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and you get in for two dollars a month for a year it's a great deal sean and i will be back next week with our regular scheduled programming thank you all and happy new year <laughs> very very dramatic by the end of it. Happy New Year. <laughs> A very dramatic happy new year. <laughs>